Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Whole Women's Health v. Jackson, certiori to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, argued November 1st, 2021, decided December 10th, 2021. If you'd like to support the podcast, please stay tuned to the end of the podcast. The court granted certiori before judgment in this case to determine whether the petitioners may pursue a pre-enforcement challenge to Texas Senate, Senate Bill 8, the Texas Heartbeat Act, a Texas statute enacted in 2021 that prohibits physicians from performing or inducing an abortion if the physician detected a fetal heartbeat. SB 8 does not allow state officials to bring criminal prosecutions or civil actions to enforce the law, but instead directs enforcement through private civil actions culminating in injunctions and statutory damages awards against those who perform or assist with prohibited abortions. And then it gives the um, Health and Safety Code statute numbers. Yeah, tracking language from Planned Parenthood versus Southeastern Pennsylvania versus KC. SB 8 permits abortion providers to defeat any suit against them by showing, among other things, that holding them liable would place an undue burden on women seeking abortions. The petitioners are abortion providers who sought pre-enforcement review of SB 8 in federal court based on the allegation that SB 8 violates the federal constitution. The petitioners sought an injunction barring the, barring the following defendants from taking any action to enforce the statute. And there's a bit of a list here. A state court judge, Austin Jackson, a state court clerk, Penny Clarkson, Texas Attorney Jack General Ken Paxton, Executive Director of the Texas Medical Board Stephen Carlton, Executive Director of the Texas Board of Nursing Catherine Thomas, Executive Director of the Texas Board of Pharmacy Allison Benz, Executive Commissioner of the Texas Health and Human Services Commission Cecile Young, and a single private party, Mark Lee Dixon. The public official defendants moved to dismiss the complaint, citing, among other things, the doctrine of sovereign immunity. Mr. Dixon also moved to dismiss, claiming that the petitioners lacked standing to sue him. The district court denied these motions. The public official defendants filed an interlocutory appeal with the Fifth Circuit under the collateral order doctrine, which allows immediate appellate review of an order denying sovereign immunity. The Fifth Circuit decided to entertain a second interlocutory appeal filed by Mr. Dixon, given the overlap in issues between his appeal and the appeal filed by the public official defendants. The Fifth Circuit denied the petitioner's request for an injunction, barring the law's enforcement pending resolution of the merits of the defendant's appeals, and instead issued an order staying proceedings in the district court until that time. The petitioners then filed a request for injunctive relief with the court, seeking emergency resolution of their application ahead of SB 8's approaching effective date. In the abbreviated time available for review, the court concluded that the petitioners' filings failed to identify a basis in existing law that could justify disturbing the Fifth Circuit's decision to deny injunctive relief. That some um, Whole Women's Health v. Jackson is the reference. Uh, petitioners then filed another emergency request asking the court to grant certiorari before the judgment to resolve the defendant's appeal in the first instance, which the court granted. The Supreme Court held, 
the order of the district court is affirmed in part and reversed in part, and the case is remanded. Justice Gorsuch announced the judgment of the court and delivered the opinion of the court, except as to Part 2C, concluding that a pre-enforcement challenge to SB 8 under the federal constitution may proceed past the motion to dismiss stage against certain of the named defendants, but not others. Because the court granted certiorari before judgment, the court effectively stands in the shoes of the Court of Appeals and reviews the defendant's appeals challenging the district court's order, denying their motions to dismiss. As with any interlocutory appeal, the court's review is limited to the particular order under review and any other ruling inextricably intertwined with or necessary to ensure meaningful review of it. It's a Swint versus Chambers County Commission. In this preliminary posture, the ultimate merits question, whether SB 8 is consistent with the federal constitution, is not before the court. The court concludes that the petitioners may pursue a pre-enforcement challenge against certain of the named defendants, but not others. Under the doctrine of sovereign immunity, named defendants Penny Clarkston, a state court clerk, and Austin Jackson, a state court judge, should be dismissed. The petitioners have explained that they hope to certify a class and request an, enjo- an order enjoining all state court clerks from docketing SBA cases and all state court judges from hearing them. The difficulty with this theory of relief is that states are generally immune from suit under the terms of the 11th Amendment or the doctrine of sovereign immunity. While the court in Ex parte Young did recognize a narrow exception allowing an action to prevent state officials from enforcing state laws that are contrary to federal law, that exception is grounded in traditional equity practice. And, as Ex parte Young itself explained, this traditional exception does not normally permit federal courts to issue injunctions against state court judges or clerks. The traditional remedy against such actors has been some form of appeal, not an ex-ante injunction preventing courts from hearing cases. As stated in Ex parte Young, an injunction against a state court or its machinery would be a violation of the whole scheme of our government. The petitioner's clerk and court theory thus fails under Ex parte Young. It fails for the additional reason that no Article III case or controversy between adverse litigants exists between the petitioners who challenge SB 8 and either the state court clerks who may docket disputes against the petitioners or the state court judges who decide those disputes. Uh, Muskrat versus United States and C. Pulliam versus Allen. Further, as to remedy Article 3, as to remedy, Article 3 does not confer on federal judges the power to supervise governmental operations. The petitioners offer no meaningful limiting principle that would apply if federal judges could enjoin state court judges and clerks from entertaining disputes under SB 8. And if the state court judges and clerks qualify as adverse litigants for Article 3 purposes in the present case, when would they not? Many more questions than answers would present themselves if the court journeyed the way of the petitioner's theory. Texas Attorney General Paxton should be dismissed. The petitioners seek to enjoin him from enforcing SB 8, which the petitioners suggest would automatically bind any private party interested in pursuing an SB 8 suit. 
The petitioners have not identified any enforcement authority the attorney general possesses in connection with SB 8 that a federal court might enjoin him from exercising. Petitioners point to a state statute that says the attorney general may institute an action for a civil penalty of $1,000 for violations of this subtitle or a rule or order adopted by the Texas Medical Board. Um, And that's Texas Occupational Code Annotated 165.101. But the qualification, this subtitle, limits the Attorney General's enforcement authority to the Texas Occupational Code. And SB 8 is not codified within this subtitle. Nor have the petitioners identified for us any rule or order adopted by the Texas Medical Board that the Attorney General might enforce against them. And even if the Attorney General did have some enforcement power under SB 8 that could be enjoined, the petitioners have identified no authority that might allow a federal court to parlay any defendant's enforcement authority into an injunction against any and all unnamed private parties who might seek to bring their own SB 8 suits. Consistent with historical practice, a court exercising equitable authority may enjoin named defendants from taking unlawful actions, but under traditional equitable principles, no court may enjoin the world at large. That's uh, Alamite Manufacturing Corp. versus Staff. Or purport to enjoin challenge laws themselves. That's um, Whole Women's Health, citing California versus Texas. The petitioners name other defendants, Stephen Carlton, Catherine Thomas, Allison Benz, and Cecile Young, each of whom is an executive licensing official who may or must take enforcement actions against the petitioners if the petitioners violate the terms of the Texas Health and Safety Code, including SB 8. Eight members of the court hold that sovereign immunity does not bar a pre-enforcement challenge to SB 8 against these defendants. The sole private defendant, Mr. Dixon, should be dismissed, given that the petitioners do not contest Mr. Dixon's sworn declarations stating that he has no intention to file an SB 8 suit against them. The petitioners cannot establish personal injury fairly traceable to Mr. Dixon's allegedly unlawful conduct. Um, That's citing California. The court holds that the petitioners may bring pre-enforcement challenge in federal court as one means to test SB 8's compliance with the federal constitution. Other pre-enforcement challenges are possible too. One such case is ongoing in state court in which the plaintiffs have raised both federal and state constitutional claims against SB 8. Any individual sued under SB 8 may raise state and federal constitutional arguments in his or her defense without limitation. Whatever a state statute may or may not say about a defense, applicable federal constitutional defenses always stand available when properly asserted. See U.S. Constitution Article 6. Many federal constitutional rights are, as a practical matter, asserted typically as defenses to state law claims, not in federal pre-enforcement cases like this one. See, for example, Snyder versus Phelps. Uh, First Amendment used as a defense to state tort suit. Other viable avenues to contest the law's compliance with federal con- the federal constitution also may be possible, 
and the court does not prejudge the possibility. Justice Gorsuch announced the judgment of the court and delivered the opinion of the court except as to Part 2C. Justices Alito, and Ka- Justices Alito, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined that opinion in full. Justice Thomas joined except for Part 2C. Justice Thomas filed an opinion concurring in part and dissenting in part. Justice Roberts filed an opinion, Chief Justice Roberts filed an opinion concurring in the judgment in part and dissenting in part, in which Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan joined. Justice Sotomayor filed an opinion concurring in the judgment in part and dissenting in part, in which Justices Breyer and Kagan joined. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I can be reached at rhodesscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and the number eight zero. If you'd like to support me or the podcast, which is just me, um, you can find a PayPal link in the show notes or um, Venmo, uh, Patreon, a couple of other places. Uh, Rhodes Scholar address works for that. So again, thank you for listening. Have a good day.